0: We know Georgia politics from Peachtree Street to Pennsylvania Avenue. Politically Georgia podcast delivers exclusive news and analysis five days a week by a team of veteran political insiders watching your public officials. Hosted by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Greg Bluestein, Bill Nygut, Tia Mitchell, and Patricia Murphy. Listen weekdays at 10 a.m. on WABE 90.1. Stream everywhere or at AJC.com forward slash podcasts. News and analysis five days a week from Politically Georgia podcast. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you again. Nick Timmeros is the Wall Street Journal chief economics correspondent, and he joins us on the On the Hill podcast to discuss the uh, booming uh, U.S. economy. Uh, Nick, thanks for uh, taking some uh, overtime with us. Thanks uh, for having me. Nick joined us on the television program. And what we wanted to talk about was the state of our economy on the The president made no bones about it in his State of the Union address that was delivered uh, the Tuesday before we're recording this, uh, that he felt that the United States economy right now is, is booming and that he deserves large credit for this. So how good is the economy right
1: now? Objectively, it's quite good. If you look at the fact we're in the 11th year of an expansion, Uh, For records that go back to the Civil War, we've never had an expansion that lasted this long. Uh, The unemployment rate is at a half-century low. It's at 3.6%. So for many of us, this is the uh, the lowest unemployment rate we've seen in our lifetimes. It's the longest expansion we've seen in our lifetimes. What president wouldn't want to have that backdrop as they run for re election and what president who's an incumbent wouldn't want to take credit for that we always probably give the president too much blame when the economy doesn't do so well and we maybe give them more credit than they deserve uh when it is doing well you know this is a, a country of 300 million people there are millions of decisions that go into mm-hmm. determining uh spending and saving and that that uh that you know, we're all making as households and businesses that determine how the economy is doing. But the president is the seen as kind of the CEO Mm -hmm. of the economy. And so, uh, you know, they're going to take the credit when it's doing well. The
0: president's detractors, I would say probably a lot of the uh, Democratic presidential candidates like to espouse the opinion that the economy is kind of on autopilot. That he didn't have much to do with this. Republicans will counter and say that he has everything, sure, to do with this. So, sure. so where is the truth there? And not really in terms, maybe just of Donald Trump per se, but presidents in, in general. Um, does it have more to do with with the business community here in the United States, the, the people's spending power? Or do presidents themselves really have that much sway over how the economy does good or bad?
1: Well, it's it's hard to say definitively. But if you look at this expansion right now, it started in the summer of 2009. Uh, the stock market began recovering in March of 2009. And if you were to look at a chart of employment or output or the stock market, uh, it's just a steady Uh, upward sloping line through most of the Obama administration through the Trump administration there isn't like a a big kink in that line when Trump is elected so there's there's some truth that we are just in a cycle here and the cycle is doing well but the president could take credit President Trump could take credit for saying look we've extended this cycle a lot of people were saying a year ago that we were going to go into recession that the unemployment rate couldn't fall below 4% uh, and uh, and all of these good things have continued. On the other hand, you know, the president did say that we were going to have sustained 3% growth. Uh, the economy grew at around uh, a little bit above 2% last year. Mm-hmm. It's projected to grow around 2% this year. So you could say, well, on that, uh, on that front, you know, we haven't had the 3% growth that, uh, you know, the president said was, uh, w- was coming.
0: But just to put some perspective into this. When the president, when President Trump says that he has improved the economy, that is correct. But it's also correct that President Obama approved the economy. And the the Trump recovery, if we can call it that as it continues on, is really an extension of of what started in 2009.
1: I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, the economy has done well under both presidents. Uh, You would expect to see employment slow. So one of the surprises, I think, over the last year is that a lot of economists have said, well, eventually you're going to run out of workers, right? You get down to a very low unemployment rate. There's always going to be some level of unemployment because there are always people transitioning as they look for new jobs. But uh, eventually the thinking was you would run out of workers and wages would have to go up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Employers would, would, as they exhaust really the supply of labor, they would have to pay more for people. And that hasn't been happening. Instead, what you've been seeing, which is really surprising, is that a lot of people who aren't even looking for jobs, they're considered out of the labor force, have been coming in and getting jobs. And so that's maybe one reason why wage growth hasn't been stronger. It's been about 3%. Wages have been going up. um, And you might expect to have seen wages go up a little bit more given how long uh, employers have been expanding. And yet they're pulling people uh, off of the sidelines of the labor market into work. And that includes people who normally might have had a harder time getting a job, like someone who's got a record, a criminal record. Uh, so you've seen some ex-felons having better uh, luck getting jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen a lot of people who are older who are staying in the workforce. So a, a large component of, of uh, you know people 65 and older uh, might you might have thought they'd be retiring and instead that they're working. And so you're seeing kind of margins of labor supply being brought into, the, uh, brought into the workforce here. Now, at some point, maybe the economists will be right and wages will have to go up because workers really will become mm-hmm. scarce. And maybe businesses will invest more in technology and other things that improve productivity. Because one of the big surprises, another big surprise of this expansion has been that productivity, which is, uh, you know, output per worker, it's been very weak. And so you might expect to see wages weaker because we just, for, for whatever reason, the productivity of the workforce hasn't been that strong.
0: One of the things we didn't get to on the television program, which I'd, I'd like to discuss, is when you're talking about workers and their jobs, is Boeing. Because um, obviously we had covered the um, catastrophic crashes of the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, which even today is still grounded you're not building new ones right now. How big of an effect on that industry right now is what's going on with, with Boeing?
1: Well, you, you will see some, economists expect you will see some slowing in output and GDP during the first quarter because Boeing now... Has suspended production of these aircraft. So even though the flights had been grounded and they weren't flying in the air, Boeing was continuing to produce the planes, and so mm-hmm. that meant that you know all the downstream effects of that—the suppliers, the uh, people who provide tech support, accounting—for you know uh, every facet of the economy wasn't really affected um, until Boeing announced uh, a couple of weeks ago they were going to have to halt production, and so but that will and happen. And the reason
0: for that is because planes that, even though they were on the ground, that pretty much affected the airlines that right. then own those aircraft, not Boeing itself, who was building
1: them. Right, and they didn't halt production because they, yeah. they thought that, you know, well, in three months these will be flying again. But as it's become clear that it's going to take longer and longer to get these planes back in the sky, uh, so Boeing has halted production, and that'll have some drag on manufacturing. It's assumed, though, that as long as uh, con- production eventually continues, then you'll get that back. So if you see GDP go down a little bit, maybe we have a quarter of 1% growth. Well, we'll get it back with 3% uh, Mm -hmm. later in the year. And so that'll all average out.
0: Um, The coronavirus obviously is something that um, has been uh, devastating to China. We're talking about 800 deaths so far. Um, We really have not discussed it in terms of the economy uh, just yet. And I don't know whether or not that's because people don't want to uh you know be perceived as they're you know putting monetary interests over the health of of, of human beings and that's an understandable concern but it is a reality uh that this does have an effect on you know a a major if not the major u.s trading partner um how concerned are people about what is going on in china right now and um their inability right now to really kind of uh Get control of of this when in regards to economic influences.
1: You've definitely seen investors in bond markets react to this. So, uh, if you look at long term Treasury yields, that could be a measure of the growth prospects for the economy over the long run. Mm-hmm. And they've come down quite a bit. They've come from they've been below two percent for most of the past nine months, but they were at around one point eight percent. They came down to one point six percent because of the fears of the Wuhan uh, coronavirus and the reason why investors are so concerned about this is that there's just the uncertainty is huge right we don't first of all what don't we know we don't know when this is going to get contained we don't know how how bad it's going to spread whether it's going to jump beyond the the central chinese province of hubei where it's where it's uh, most of these deaths uh, and infections have been we don't know if uh china is accurately reporting the data, right? There's a lot of concern that maybe, uh, you know, we're not getting the most accurate count of, of the um, infection and fatality rate. And then we just don't really have an experience of something like this, shutting down the world's second largest economy for a long period of time. So people who study this, they go back and they look at the SARS epidemic from 2003. But China is a much bigger part of the global economy today in 2020 than it was 17 years ago. And so we're trying to get a handle on all of these things. How bad is it going to spread? How realistic are the reports out of China? And if all of that is, can be quantified, then how does it ripple through this major part of the global supply chain?
0: You're listening to the On the Hill podcast coming to you from the studios of Fox 5, D.C. in Washington, D.C.
1: Some say you have to believe to achieve. Lead more with humility? Well, as an artist, I am not just surviving, I am thriving. Pay hey, yourself first, take care of yourself first.
0: I'm Tisha Lewis. Please check out The Good Word. Available now. This is the On the Hill podcast, coming to you from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. Nick Timmeros is the Wall Street Journal Chief Economics Correspondent. He's joining us here to talk about the state of the U.S. economy. Uh, Nick, one of the things the president talked about in his State of the Union was the uh, blue-collar boom. A lot of times in election years, especially, yeah, you know, we hear discussion about the you know the the, uh, the upper class people in the United States, the, the wealthiest in this country, and whether or not you know people should tax them or, or or whatnot. And we hear discussion about you know people at the lower end of the income scale, you know, whether it should be done more to be done to end poverty. We don't hear as much about blue-collar, middle middle-class people. And I always find that kind of puzzling in a way because that's where the bulk of most of your voters are, um, but the arguments are easier on on, on the edges. Uh, so, so what of this claim by the president that we're seeing a blue collar boom specifically? Uh, does does that hold up under an examination of the data?
1: I guess it depends on what what's blue collar, right? It's it's a it's a clever kind of marketing phrase, uh, and if you're talking about the uh, lower income earners in the country it's definitely true that wage growth for maybe the lower third or the bottom half of the country has been stronger over the past couple years that's definitely been the case and so there's there's maybe signs that as you get unemployment to much lower levels uh, it could be the people at the bottom who are benefiting more and so if that's what the president's talking about then yes uh, you could you could say there's some evidence for a blue-collar boom Sometimes, when people talk about blue collar, you're talking about manufacturing and construction jobs. And if you actually look at the jobs data for the last four months, uh, manufacturing has been a wash. It's been negative in three of those four months. We haven't really seen much growth in manufacturing. Now, a lot of economists would say that's not such a huge thing to worry about because manufacturing is only 8% of the economy. It's not what it used to be. But, you know, this is a president who's talked a big game about goods producing jobs coming back to the U.S. And if you look at his policies, his tax cut in 2017 was designed to try to boost investment, bring back jobs to the U.S. And there's evidence that that began to happen uh, in 2018, and then it fell off a cliff when the tax, uh, sorry, when the trade war started. Um, maybe it was because the rest of the world was slowing down and, and the trade war didn't really have anything to do with it. But there are some people who wonder whether uh, the trade war undercut the effect that those corporate tax cuts were supposed to have with regards to boosting investment in the United States.
0: I had talked to one person who described it as uh, uh, two waves. In, in tandem in the second wave, knocking out the first wave, the first wave right. would have been the tax cut, the second wave would have been that uh, trade war that it had not been for the trade war. We may have seen more of an impact on the beach. Right. Tax
1: cuts. Well, and you've heard uh, business executives talk about how with threats last year to impose tariffs, not just on China, but on Mexico, uh, they said, look, we're, we're going to just hold up here. We're going to freeze whatever plans we'd had to expand because we don't know what the rules of the road are going to be. Now, we have had more certainty in the last few months. We've had the, the first phase of a trade deal with China. We've had the new NAFTA agreed to by the White House and Congress. And so there's some hope that maybe now businesses will uh, re-engage a little bit but it's it's early to tell there
0: one of the things this president you know uh, has, has done differently than maybe some other presidents and there's there's a long list of things that he's done differently than other presidents is that um, he has at times taken a very hard line on his own fed chairman the fed chairman that he nominated that seems to have quieted down in, in, in recent months but our are, are there still echoes of that? We don't hear as much from the White House, from the president now, uh, attacking the Fred, Ch- Fred Chairman uh, Powell as much as he was.
1: Yeah, I think you see a pretty good uh, relationship between whenever the economy is weakening and whenever you see bond markets signaling a higher probability of a recession uh, then the attacks on J. Powell go up
0: because he wants somebody to point to. Because he's wants,
1: worried, yeah. he's, he's worried that policy might be too tight. And you know, the Federal Reserve, by controlling interest rates, they influence the cost of money in the short run. Right. But the bond market decides the cost of money over the long run. And so, when you see market-determined interest rates falling below the front end that's controlled by the Fed, those are situations that have preceded recessions in the past. And the president seems to recognize this. Maybe his advisors are telling him, hey, the yield curve, this is what it's called, the yield curve is inverting again. Right. We need the Fed to cut interest rates. The president also pays a lot of attention to the value of the dollar, the relative value of the dollar. He likes the dollar to be weaker because that boosts exports. And this is, again, someone who sees everything as kind of a binary zero sum, mm-hmm. uh, if, if, if our trade is good. Uh, If others are are trading more with us, then we must be losing. They must be cheating us. If we're exporting more, that's good. And interest rates can can play some role in the value of the dollar there. Now,
0: my understanding of the yield curve is that uh, there were people investing in long-term bonds more than they were in short-term. And that seemed to indicate to some economic journalists that um, people had more confidence um, that there was possibly going to be a recession or, or a slowdown in the economy if it wasn't a full flat recession. That really caught on about six months ago in, in a lot of the reporting about the, the economy. It did not pan out. It has not panned out so much. So when the president and his staff kind of pointed a finger at the media and said, you're trying to talk us, into a, talk us into a recession and it hasn't happened, what, what fueled that? six months ago, all of those stories and all of that pointing at the yield curve is, you better watch out for this because this could well, be the harbinger of something part, bad. Part of
1: what happened was the Fed cut interest rates. Mm-hmm. And as the Fed cut interest rates, the cut rates three times, you began to see that uh, that inverted yield curve went away. And so the President might look at that and say, see, my attacks on Powell worked because he listened mm-hmm. to me. He cut interest rates. I told him to do it and he listened to me. Now the Fed will say, that's absolutely not the case. We don't take Uh, Instructions from political leaders. We just look at the data. They may have come independently to the same conclusions that, yeah, you know, we don't want to risk a recession right now uh, because the Fed's job is to make sure that inflation doesn't get out of control. And there's no sign right now of inflation getting out of control. But uh, we did see that the the worries about the yield curve went away after the Fed cut rates because uh, they they brought down short-term interest rates. And and as short-term interest rates came down, investors began to feel better about the long-run economic picture, and so long-term interest rates uh, went back above short-term rates, so that yield curve inversion went away. Now, what's interesting is that in the last couple of weeks, we've seen parts of this yield curve begin to invert again, the same thing people were talking about back in August. It's nowhere near as severe as it was back then, but we are seeing some signs of that really because of what's been happening in China with the coronavirus, and so uh, I would imagine or I would not be surprised if that continued and you began to see investors get more worried about growth in China. I would not be surprised to see the president uh, get uh, a little bit hotter at the Fed here. All
0: right. Nick Timorous, we thank you for joining us. Nick is the Wall Street Journal chief economics correspondent. It's been kind of nice to join us uh, on our 50th. On the Hill podcast to talk about the state of the U.S. economy. Nick, thank you.
1: Congrats on 50. Thanks so it. much. It's
0: been a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, thank you, as always, for spending part of your day with us. I'm Tom Fitzgerald from the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. You've been on the Hill.
1: Volvieron. Los McNugget Buddies are back at McDonald's. Y ahora tienen un nuevo look. Diseñado por el streetwear designer Kerwin Frost. Cada buddy tiene su propio vibe. Pero cuando el squad está completo, se ven fire. Complete your buddy squad ordenando the Kerwin Frost Box. Cada caja incluye un buddy, tu elección de una Big Mac o unos Timpy's Chicken McNuggets, papitas medianas y un refresco mediano. Disponible desde el 11 de diciembre. En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar
0: existencias.